Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yuck. I love sausage. Thank you, Tim. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. The Tim Graham Show. I did old, uh, some poll uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, the fan. Wet Taking your calls at 270-1270. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? Uh-oh. You're going to need a bigger boat. I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Good afternoon. This is the Tim Graham Show on 1270 The Fan. Tim Graham, nowhere to be found. We're trying to track him down, see if we can just touch base and figure out why he's not here, why he didn't show up for work today to host his own show. It's the Tim Graham Show, but I'm Jonah Bronstein. Normally, if you're watching this on Periscope Twitter, I'm on the other side of the phone camera. You hear me, but you don't see me today. You get to stare at me and our... Beautiful co-host, OG on this show, oh, original yeah. co-host, Joe Licata, athletic director, head football coach at Bishop Time in St. Jude. Joe, you got any other jobs over there? You uh, teach I'm too, a, right? Yeah, I'm a phys ed teacher. Nice. So Joe, pulling triple duty at Bishop Time in. Yeah, and He's the JV basketball coach. Lunch monitoring duties, I would I imagine, do. right? I oh, do. awesome. <laughs> I still remember high school a little bit. Bobby Rosati. <laughs> that was the best six years of Bobby's life. <laughs> Producing this show. Hey, Joe, I don't know. You haven't been here in a little while. Bobby's been producing the Jerry Sullivan show every morning for about a year now. Yeah. He's developed. He it's like a quarterback from year one to year two. Or year six. <laughs> yeah. He's a mid career radio producer now where when you hosted this show, that was Bobby's rookie season yeah. and he was our rook and we treated him as such. But we don't we don't do that anymore. He doesn't have to carry your bags. Bring the coffee. None of that. Yeah. As I mentioned, no Tim Graham, but Bobby, have we been able to touch base with Tim Graham? Do we know where he is? We have, I believe. We he... know where he is, but we, are we going to be able to talk to yes, him? Yes, we will be. I'm just waiting on confirmation. Okay. Do we want to talk to him? It depends where he is. What he's been doing today, yesterday, days before that. It's been a week since we've heard him on the air of this show. He's been tweeting, so he's not yeah. missing in action. We're actually being kind of coy. Tim's down. Covering the Bills. The Bills practice down in Spartanburg, South Carolina for the last two days in advance of a preseason game at the Carolina Panthers. Tim's down there covering it for the Athletic. But let's hope he's covering it for this show, too, for our listeners and our viewers on Periscope Twitter and find out what's going on with the Bills, what may or may not be going on with any trades. Jadavian Clowney, Joe might have something to say about that or nothing to say about that. <laughs> Uh, we also have a fun guest coming up later in the show, good friend of Joe's, Mark Coppola, the maestro of Main Street, some people have called him. Main Street Mark. Main Street Mark, second all-time at Western New York assist at Williamsville South, passing awesome. mostly to Joe Licata, and I think set the assist record at Damon, I'm pretty sure. Yep. We'll have to look that up before he uh, joins us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, but right now... We're at the top of the 4 o'clock hour of the Tim Graham Show. Do we have Tim Graham, Bobby? Oh, we sure do. Sure do. Are you waiting for me to talk or uh, what? I, we're waiting for people to stop clapping, I guess. <laughs> I see. Rousing ovation. All right. Quiet down. Hold your applause. 
All right, Tim, thanks for calling in the Tim Graham Show. Pleasure to have you on today. Well, thanks for having me, Jonah. Anytime. Uh, uh, We're in a car. It's uh, Matthew Fairburn and Joe Biscaglia of The Athletic are here in the car with me. Oh, wow, this is a uh, triple team. It's a group interview, and uh, we also have Matt Beauvais. You'll know him from his work at Buffalo's ABC affiliate, WKBW Channel 7. Uh, he's here also. We're making the drive from uh, South Carolina, uh, where practices were, to Charlotte, uh, where the game will be on Friday. Wow, that's a full Did car you guys got there. How long is oh, the drive? Yeah, it's a party. It's about an hour and a half. We're 20 miles outside of Charlotte. Now, we don't have to pay all four of you for coming on the show today, do we? No. All right, let's clear that up. At the outset, because that'll make a difference whether I ask other people questions or if I only talk to you. I think everybody is available. I, this phone call was interrupting. Uh, I, from what I overheard in the back seat, something about mortgages and buying a house. So oh. now everybody's on hold now. Well, uh, so they they are now a captive audience. You can ask anybody anything you want. We can get into that. Maybe that'll help us get a sponsor if we give some mortgage advice. Some, yeah, mortgage loan. Yes. All right, Tim. You you were at practice yesterday and today and. Spartanburg, South Carolina, can you sort of explain the scene down there for people who, well, obviously none of us saw the practice, but haven't been following close in the coverage. What, what happened the last two days with the Bills and the Panthers and these practices? I'd be lying if I said up there today. I can't. Great. Oh, yeah. Oh, good, <laughs> Tim. Good stuff. Take me to task. I, uh, I threw my back out at some point, and we're hitting a rough patch of Interstate 85 here, so apologize for the road noise. But I threw my back out. I had a little trouble getting out of bed this morning and uh, had to go to an urgent care for some steroids and uh, muscle relaxers. So I'm doing better now. But uh, practice yesterday, it was really hot, uh, which I don't know how, you know, Sean McDermott's always talking about maximizing his practices and getting the most out of your two hours that you have with the, with the players and the heat and the humidity so oppressive i i wonder how much he may regret taking two days out of his uh you know out of his uh, practice uh, agenda and moving these sessions down to to spartanburg the trade-off of course you get to go up against live bodies working out of different defenses and offensive systems not just going up against the your um your own team's uh schemes so you get some different looks against different players uh uh, but it's um, it's Matthew Fairburn noted today on Twitter uh, that uh, Josh Allen had a very efficient day today, only two or three uh, incomplete passes in his drills going up against Carolina. So he was sharp today. Uh, I thought that uh, it was pretty spirited what I saw yesterday of the defensive backs going up against Carolina's uh, receivers uh, with Cam Newton throwing the ball in some red zone drills. There was a lot of trash talking going back and forth. Uh, healthy trash talk, but Cam Newton really getting after the Bills' defensive backs, them not giving him any quarter, really. And uh, so that was that was interesting to see. Um, but, you know, in the end, it, it is practice. It wasn't full contact. And uh, it, it uh, but it was just, uh, yeah, it is what it is. How about that? You know, I think a lot of these – situations at this time of year you don't you maybe don't learn as much by who looks good as you do by who looks bad or doesn't look good did anything catch your eye did Carolina expose any possible weaknesses with the Bills that maybe wasn't 
as a parent when they're practicing against each other? Let's open this up to the car. Anybody uh, have an answer for that? Yeah, I'll bite on that. It's, uh, hey, guys, it's Joe. Um, Hi, Joe. It, uh, what, what's going on? Um, Just answer the question. I review. Uh, this is, today, I actually saw Tredavious White uh, having a little trouble with good old Curtis Samuel. Uh, two days in a row. Two days in a row because Matt was watching the offense yesterday. I was watching the, I was watching the defense yesterday. I was watching it today. Um, yeah, Tredavious got burned very, very badly by Curtis Samuel and perfect, perfectly thrown pass from Cam Newton. This was like these two days have really been the first time that we've seen Tredavious show a weakness of any of any sort uh, in the summer months, anyway. So uh, that it, it, it seems like he needs to get a little bit more fine tuned as the like, preseason kind of goes. But that that uh, that was probably not a great thing to see. Do you begin to wonder then if how great Tredavious White has looked and at uh, St. John Fisher that Josh Allen maybe is making him look a little bit better because now he's going up against Cam Newton. He certainly didn't look the same type of, didn't have the same presence that he did at St. John Fisher these last two days. I, I, I think there are some, some teeth to that. You know, Tredavious, is still, even though he's a good player, he's still pretty young and still trying to figure things out himself. Um, I mean, he had a he had a great year last year. I don't want to take any anything away from the guy, but you know what we saw him struggle with a bit at times last year was was the speed. Of, I mean, remember AJ Green? AJ Green torched him uh, the the time that it, that he went up against him. And wonder if that that speed is kind of the issue here um, about whether or not uh, he can because Samuel's Samuel's route running is pretty darn good too. So. It was very interesting to watch uh, Samuel getting the better of, of uh, Tredavious now two days in a row. Herbert said about day one as well. Yeah, that's interesting. And similar to what Tim said, that could be a commentary on the Bills receivers and really that they don't have the ability to stretch Tredavious and uh, you know make him look bad in a practice setting where another team can do that. Well, these two practices. But John Brown, if John Brown has been, it looks has shown that he's able to do that. So I wouldn't. Uh, but yeah, there there could be as, as a receiving core, maybe some truth to that. But I, I'm sure, I think that Tre'Davious White's been tested by uh, by the Bills receivers well enough anyway. I, but it was night and day between the the balls that were being thrown uh, from Cam Newton and uh, well. I guess I, I don't want to say that either. I, anyways, it was Tredavious White had a had a couple of days that he would rather have done much better. Does Cam Newton look fully healthy? Yeah, he looked at, he looked fine to me. I mean, I'm I'm not a I don't have your eye for it, Joe, but um, he was out there. Do, he was doing everything, and uh, he, I didn't uh, I didn't see anything that was amiss at yeah, all. Yeah, it looked like. I mean, the deep ball he threw to Samuel today was right on point. Um, some some uh, second-level stuff that had, like, 10 yards. Uh, he was he was hitting those players in stride. I mean, I think he started the practice off 8 of 8. His first inning completion was Ed Oliver batting the ball down at the line of scrimmage. So he was – he finished 14 of 18 against the Bills defense today, first-team defense. So, yeah, he looked he looked pretty, pretty good. I, I don't know if he's – all the way back, but uh, he looks like uh, a lot more like the Cam we've come to know rather than the Cam that we saw last year. You know, Tim, something you wrote about in The Athletic earlier this week, 
we've all heard the comparisons between Josh Allen and Cam Newton. What did you find in writing that piece? How valid are they? And now you've seen a little bit of Cam Newton up close. You know, can you tell us, is that a fair comparison to make? Is it something we still should be paying attention to, or was it a bit of a false flag there? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it is fair, and I, and I think that's in general. And, and that was kind of the point I was trying to make with the story, is that you can find common traits for uh, any quarterback, really, uh, if you want to look at it. And I interviewed Buddy Nix for the story, and he was terrific in breaking it down because you know he scouted uh, a lot of quarterbacks when the Bills were, were looking to make that pick in 2000 and, uh, uh, 2000 and well, it was 2011 draft. Um, and that was when the Bills picked third and ended up with Marcel Darius. But um, the thing is, try to not get skilled on this off-ramp. Um, the thing about it is, uh, so. Bobby, did we lose Tim there? I think so. technical difficulties? Yeah, hang on one I compared him yeah. to, oh, did you lose me? No, we got you now. We got you back. We lost okay. whatever. So, uh. You were orating about earlier. Yes, it was. Uh, if he's, if you knew that Cam, that uh, Josh Allen could run coming out of Wyoming, then you were comparing him to Cam Newton. If you didn't know he could run, then you were comparing him to Ben Roethlisberger. And as Buddy Nick said, you would never compare Cam Newton to Ben Roethlisberger. So you just alter one trait, and the comparison blows up. Uh, it just, it's, it doesn't work. It doesn't fit, and so. Uh, the impetus for that story was over the last year and a half, we get it in news conferences every now and then. And there was just one asked of uh, Sean McDermott last week, I think it was, about a comparison, even if it's anecdotal, regarding Cam Newton and Josh Allen. And But I'd never seen anybody actually write a story that examined it, as opposed to just going beyond the question of a here or there thing. But he was compared to Cam Newton on uh, on the different talk shows, uh, the morning talk shows where everybody likes to argue and debate, uh, that was a common thing. And then it was just kind of left alone uh, after Josh Allen was selected. He enters the NFL. You, then you see him run, and everybody says, oh, wow, he is just like Cam Newton. But there are so many things that aren't alike, uh, including you know just their personalities. Uh, you're not going to see Josh Allen trash-talking another uh, defense, at least not yet, but Cam Newton was – probably doing that as a rookie with Carolina. He came into the league with um, from a totally different system in which he was no doubt the starter going into Carolina as opposed to Josh Allen where the Bills didn't think he was quite ready to go and would, and preferred to go with Nathan Peterman, in fact, and probably would have gone with A.J. McCarron had he not been injured uh, before they traded him. And uh, it's just uh, Cam Newton has that leadership aspect where he's a bit of a independent leader, kind of a, an isolated guy, not as much of a team-oriented guy as Josh Allen is, according to the, you know, from the people I spoke with. They just say that, yeah, Cam Newton's a, a Sunday warrior. He's going to show up, and he's going to give it his all, and he's a winner. But uh, he kind of keeps to himself, whereas Josh Allen is always extending himself to his teammates. Uh, he's eager to learn and to uh, develop his leadership skills, whereas Cam Newton's the type of guy you can't tell him uh, really how, what to do or how he can improve. He just, he's not ready. He's just not a listener in that regard. He just does his thing and 
as the saying goes, Cam is Cam, which just reminiscent of that's Manny being Manny when they would talk about Manny Ramirez. It's like he's a good player and he does his own thing. Uh, and you just have to accept it for what it is and uh, uh, and hope that he, he's happy. But, um, but yeah, anyway, that was just the, the 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 reason to do the story was more about just the idea that when you compare quarterbacks, it can be, it's a pretty lazy thing to do when you try to compare one guy to the other because the position is so nuanced. There are so many subtleties that uh, it's just it doesn't work out. It's you can mention a trade or so, but to expect Josh Allen or to think that Josh Allen is the next Cam Newton, uh, it's not going to work out for you. Well, I'll ask you, and I can open up to the car, maybe even Joe Licata could chime in here. Is there a better comparison, or is there no NFL quarterback that we could really use as a template for uh, Josh Allen's potential and what the Bills hope they're getting when he uh, develops into the quarterback they hope they drafted? This is how I operate, Jonah. Uh, I will defer to the guy who would know, rather than you asking (laughs) me, what does Joe Licata think the answer is to that? That's a tough question. Um, I'm going to have to pull up a list of – I don't think there's really anybody in the NFL right now. Um, I, Tim, you, you, that does make a lot of sense about Cam and, and a lot of his traits and characteristics. Um, but he, he's not Rodgers. He's not Brady. He's not, you know, a Russell Wilson type. I mean, I, I guess if you want to make him a Russell Wilson type, you say he's a taller Russell Wilson. But I, that, that's a really tough – Tough question. I, I don't necessarily have the answer to that one. All right. Well, glad you I know asked what I think is interesting, and I I don't know that this is accurate or not, but it just popped into my head is when I did the story with Josh Allen a couple of weeks ago, where I gave him his Madden ratings. Uh, the one thing that I did find interesting is that he has a lot of similar ratings to Tyree Jackson, uh, at least according to the Madden people. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, well, but I, I just found it interesting: the strong arm, the accuracy. You know, there's all the different traits that they get into. I just found that uh, that caught my eye. Well, I think last year when I was on the show, you somebody asked me who Tyree's NFL comparison was, and I said Josh Allen. Um, but I, he almost looks – you want him to develop more than the Tannehill ever did, but I see a lot of similar skill set that Tannehill had. Uh, I think he's a little bit more athletic than Tannehill, and he probably has a higher ceiling. Um from what you guys have said about about the way he competes and the way he listens and wants to be great, um, but uh, Tannehill's a guy that I think he compares to a better version of him, which might scare Bills fans. But, but I it think... shouldn't. It shouldn't. Tannehill was a serviceable guy for a while, and and I'm saying that Allen's got a lot more uh, higher ceiling than he does. And I think what you're saying also is if Tannehill became as good as he was supposed to Correct. be, that's what Josh Allen could be if he becomes. What where does uh where does Ken Dorsey come into play in this Tim or the the rest of the car where have you guys seen uh, Josh Allen's growth through the the improvements in the quarterback room whether it be Ken Dorsey or Matt Barkley? Well, I'll say this. I mean, and I I can't give you specifics, but it has to be a huge improvement over David Cully, uh, who was a lifelong receivers coach. And why the Bills ever decided to put their franchise prospect in the hands uh, of a guy who'd hardly ever worked with quarterbacks in his life uh, in such a uh, crucial year, you know, the rookie year, and and he's thrown to the wolves because Nathan Peterman isn't good enough and because uh, McCarron gets hurt. Then they decide to go with only two quarterbacks to start the season, 
And that's, uh, you know, kind of for, so these guys are on their own. I mean, what can he learn from Nathan Peterman? And I'm not saying that as a knock on Nathan Peterman and his, you know, the fact that he threw a ton of interceptions. It's just that Nathan Peterman's barely been in the league and hasn't experienced uh, life in the NFL hardly. And then these guys are in a room with, uh, with David Culley as a receivers coach. Now, Shea Tierney was uh, and still is uh, uh, an assistant that was there, and they were able to lean on him a little bit. But he's also young. Uh, and uh, Brian Dable had his hands full as the offensive coordinator, and they spent a lot of time together, granted. So them having the, a, a clear one, two, three uh, depth chart at quarterback right now has to be a huge improvement. Barkley is a guy who knows his role. He's not coming in thinking he's going to be the starter like McCarron and Nathan Peterman did. They're, and, yes, they're teammates. They're all pulling in the same direction, that type of thing. But when, these, when, when you're fighting for a starting job, uh, not to say that they're going to let the rookie uh, uh, dangle or you know, not, uh, not going to help him out at all, uh, but you know, there are things that they may you – know, they, they want, they're looking for their edge. They're competing they're, they're for their livelihood. And um, so now you have Barkley, who's there to be a sounding board, a guy who has been around the block a handful of times. He's not uh, going to be bitter that he's losing out on the starting job. And, of course, you mentioned Ken Dorsey. That's the big addition and uh, clearly the biggest addition to the coaching staff. And I think that if you want to talk about Mitch Morse and Cole Beasley, uh, Ken Dorsey, in my opinion, the addition of him, uh, is every bit as important as those free agent signings. And, again, that's not to crown Ken Dorsey as the greatest uh, quarterbacks coach to ever live. It's just a, it's more of a, a statement about what they had last year uh, or what they didn't have last year. So, yeah, Ken Dorsey has worked with Cam Newton. He's He's been influential to Cam Newton's development. Um, and uh, he's he's seen a lot of things, and he's very well respected. And So that's a long-winded question to say I don't know. Uh, but uh, has to has to be a significant impact uh, relative to what they had last year. It, it, that that position is just so specialized. It, it just doesn't make any sense to have somebody who's either never done it or never coached it coach your franchise guy. I mean, that's like asking me to fix your car. I can't. I can't do that. Uh, okay. Well, how about? Uh, well, I'll find something for you to do, Joe. All right. Thank you. Hey Tim, is it like asking you to be an athletic director at a at a high school uh, when you when you'd never done it? No, it was like asking them to host a radio show oh. when he had never done it before. Yeah, yeah. I guess we'll put that one yeah, right back on you, Jonah. Jonah. Okay, I hear you. Noted. <laughs> All right, Tim. Two hours ago, you you tweeted something I want to ask you about. It was obviously important because you retweeted yourself, which is a very Jerry Sullivan move, if you ask me. <laughs> But uh, it's a short tweet, so I'll just read it. On Jadevian Clowney, Bill Source tells me nothing there. Well, we need a little bit more than that. So if you could give us maybe the background, the context, why did you feel compelled to tweet that and then retweet that? Well, I retweeted it because we were sitting at Waffle House, uh, and everybody else at the table had retweeted it, Matt Bovey, Matt Fairburn and Joe Biscalia, and I said, well, I, I guess I have to retweet it, too. So I, I'm glad, it's funny that you noticed that. <laughs> How about um, your timeline? It's like back to back. ourselves that. Yes, uh, but uh, the, there was a tweet out there from uh, a, a podcast that Stevie Johnson is behind, and uh, it tweeted out that uh, 
this trade was happening. Details were being hammered out. Uh, it's all pretty much a done deal. And so people started checking around. Hey, we've gotten stranger sources from stra- or uh, stories have broken from stranger sources. So um, I reached out uh, to find out any information about it and was told from the bills that uh, it's there's no, as I quoted, nothing there. So just was putting out a fire. And I guess from what I understand, upset a lot of people uh, who were excited about Jadavian Clowney coming to the bills. Okay, well, you mentioned putting out the fire. Do you, do you think there was – was there smoke to that fire? Does Clowney to the Bills make any sense? Maybe it's not happening now or anytime soon, but is that a trade that you think the Bills might have considered and could happen? Well, that is possible um, because uh, he's on the market and he's also been rumored to the Miami Dolphins. And have the Bills been in on those discussions? You know, I'll be honest. I didn't ask the questions that, that way. Uh, I asked if this was a legitimate report and uh, was told that it's not. So, um, and it wasn't one of those deals where the, the bills and, and my sources there, they're they're not going to play word games or semantics to say it's uh, it's not correct as written or if they change a word around or something like that, then it is accurate. No, it's uh, they wouldn't have uh, they wouldn't have told me there was nothing there unless they wanted people to know that you shouldn't get excited. Uh, this isn't uh, this isn't happening, and it's also keep in mind this is one of Brandon Bean's pet peeves uh, of being a general manager is putting out these types of fires uh, of uh, people being out uh, reporting things about his roster that aren't true and forcing him to do extra work because of the rumor mill. Um, so uh, these are the uh, I think that that's why the Bills get pretty aggressive sometimes in knocking down rumors. And maybe we should emphasize it wasn't reported by an established journalist at, at a national network. Sometimes that stuff comes out and the Bills or an NFL team would pour water on that fire, but it's a little different. That's That would be coming from somebody that we would at least expect to have you know, the journalistic standards and, and only be going with information that they believe to be true. Yeah, with the player being behind it, too, is that people, you know, players have agents. I don't know who Jadavian Clowney's agent is. Maybe he's with Stevie Johnson's old agent. I don't know. I, I didn't connect those dots. But there's a chance. I think people see these rumors and they think coming from Stevie Johnson or uh, this podcast that's affiliated with Stevie Johnson, they think, well, a former player might know something. Maybe he talks to some of the guys on the team still or he, te- he got a text from – um, I don't know, uh, Cole Beasley or just whomever. And then there he, so he's got a scoop because he's still connected to the NFL. But, uh, so, and Stevie Johnson had a tweet just a week or so ago about what receiver was Crabtree. it? Yeah. Michael Crabtree. And he was just, and I checked in with him and I, we have a, a mutual, uh, friend and I re and the mutual friend got back to me and said, Stevie Johnson is sitting at his pool right now, bored. And so he had put out that tweet about the Bills and Michael Crabtree just to because he thought it was uh, something the Bills should do. But with the way he phrased it, it was almost like Stevie Johnson was breaking news that Michael Crabtree is coming to the Bills. So, um, so these things can. So I don't know where Stevie's getting his info, but he's 0 for two apparently. All right, guys, we're going to have to take a break. Uh, you know, but before we do anything, because we're going to. Probably hang up with you. Anything last you want to get into, Tim, with, with myself or Joe Licata or Bobby Rosati and his vaping? Absolutely not. All right, so we're going <laughs> to let you guys not. go. Uh, we're actually we're parked outside the hotel. We're going to go check in and, uh, and probably uh, rehydrate. All right, I know what that's about. 
Watch out for the local laws Bye. that might be different than the laws here. I will be okay. back. I'll, I'll read up on my South Carolina handbook. I will be back after these commercials. Tim Graham will not be back, but it's still the Tim Graham Show. 1270 The Fan. Get me off. That doesn't get me off the. Go ahead and jot down that time too, brother. On Twitter at twelve seventy, the fan. My fifth year incoming altar boy class, I think, was bigger and better than any other class. The Tim Graham Show. All right, we're back. Tim Graham show. 1270 The Fan. No Tim Graham. I'm Jonah Bronstein. Producing the Periscope Live Twitter feed video. But if you're listening on the radio, you probably don't need to know any about that because you're just listening on the radio in your car. Bobby Rosati producing as he always does. Joe Licata guest hosting as he hasn't done in, what do you think, it's been almost two years, year and a half? Yes. Yeah. I was on it. I was on it last year, though. At one point, I think as a guest came in, but the hosting you yeah, haven't done it's been since you left years. us before. It's been two years. I got I got a real job. Maybe this to... is the sign of things to come. Mike Rodak, our co-host, since you left, since you've been gone, the last two years, he's down living in Alabama. Yeah, we might have an open chair. And I know Joe, you're busier now these days. Actually, I'm a little busier. You're going to get real busy starting in Monday, four or five days. Yep, Ooh. Monday at three o'clock. Uh, I'm going to be very busy. All right. Joe is, I'm sure everybody knows, but if you don't know, holds many of the passing records at UB, Hold held just about all of them until Tyree Jackson came along in the last year or two and broke some of the single season and different ones. But between the two of them, Drew Willie might have a couple, but those are the all-time leading passers. And I think you still have a lot of the career ones because he played four years. So we could say that, all-time leading passer at the yeah. University of Buffalo. Was when you graduated, record-setting, state record-setting quarterback for Williamsville South. Some people have come along since and broke some of those records, but you were, you know, really Western New York's all-time leading passer when you were done playing high school football. So I would say, and in Joe Licata football, you train football players at all positions, mm-hmm. but maybe a but I I coach quarterbacks. Emphasis on quarterbacks. Yeah. Do you have a quarterbacks coach at Timon, or do you take that role on yourself? <laughs> I do it myself. I don't Your think I would trust anybody head coach else with slash quarterbacks. quarterbacks coach. Slash, we heard from one of his players earlier. He's very involved with what color uniforms they yep. wear. Yeah. Snacks gave us a call. He Facetimed me yeah. earlier. Told us he was going to call back. Bobby, what's that number for Snacks? If he's listening, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll shoot him a text right now. Two seventy twelve seventy. All right, we want to hear from Snacks. Talk a little bit about time in football and what colors they're going to be wearing this year. But before we do that, Joe is, from my perspective a quarterback guru, I would say. At least anybody that I've ever met and had the chance to talk to, he has special insight into what it takes to play the position, now coach players to play the position. And so I do want to ask him for his takes on some quarterbacks, the main one being Josh Allen, starting quarterback for the Buffalo Bills in his second season. Throughout Josh Allen's rookie season, 
Joe did a regular series with Matthew Fairburn at The Athletic breaking down the All-22 film of Josh's play. So maybe if I could just ask you your general thoughts on Josh Allen as a quarterback in his rookie year. Joe, what was your evaluation of how he played? Well, when he came in, he was very raw, very talented. Um, you know, big arm, can run, can do all that great stuff that looks great on paper. Um, and and I thought that he grew a lot. Um, and, and I thought that had a lot to do with the way Dable was calling offense. Um, you saw at the beginning of the season, it was a lot of simple reads off of one guy. Um, they do a lot of play action, downfield stuff, because he was comfortable doing it, um, where they'd have a deep post and a deep over, and he read off of the safety, and that was it. And he was really good at that and is really good at that. And then as you as you saw him progress and saw him get more comfortable back there, you saw Dable get more comfortable calling plays for Josh Allen. And you saw a, a, third, a second and third read uh, hop into his thought process. So he was going from – you see him scanning the right side of the field all the way back to the left side of the field – games 10 and 11 whereas in games one and two you weren't seeing that kind of stuff so it was really cool to see um especially being able to do that with uh matthew fairburn that was a really cool thing that the athletics started uh with us last year and we're going to continue to do it um but it was awesome for me to to watch the all 22 film and be able to really break it down and learn what was going on and, and see what Dable's thought process was uh, going into certain games, how he attacks defense, and then how Josh Allen reacted to certain things. One thing Bills fans saw is Josh Allen's running ability. He was really their leading rusher last season, set some records with what he was able to do with his legs. Joe, in your opinion, as he gets better as a passer, will that replace what he does running the football or is there a way where he can provide that kind of value as a rusher and still provide what they need as a passer? You see a lot of that in college, maybe right. less so in the NFL. I mean, there's definitely value to an athlete playing quarterback. Uh, you know, John Elway is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, but you saw as his career went on and as he got, as he got older, he stopped running the ball as much. And, and, you know, they won the two Super Bowls at the end of his career. Um, passing quarterbacks win championships. If if you're going to rely on running the football all the time at that position, he's either going to get hurt or defenses are going to uh, react to it and, and adjust to it. Guys are too athletic on the defensive side of the ball to have a running quarterback right now in today's NFL. Um, now, does that devalue his ability? No. I mean, I think it's very valuable, and I think he can get you out of certain things um, that a Drew Brees or Tom Brady can't get you out of. Uh, but if they fully rely on his legs, then the offense is in trouble. Bobby, we got a caller? We do. Special guest, Snacks. S- Mr. Brandon oh, Lowry. <laughs> Welcome uh, to the show, Snacks. Snacks, hey, Woody. You, and, you and Woody are on? And Connor, yeah. Hey, Snacks, I- explain, to everybody, <laughs> explain to everybody why your nickname is Snacks. Oh, well, freshman year, I was, I was real chubby, man. I came to practice with snacks in my pockets, you know. All they <laughs> Joe, can you explain who Snacks is, who else we got on the line? Yes, uh, Snacks is one of our running backs and linebackers. He was a captain for us last year. He's going into his senior year. Uh, he wears number three for the Time and Tigers. And Woody is a safety, plays a little corner, plays a little running back. And I think both those guys want to play a little receiver this year, too. Uh, Woody, yeah. Woody's wearing number nine this year, um, but two two of my favorites. 
All right, Snacks, while we got you on the line, you and Woody, what, what do you guys want to know about your coach, Joe Licata, as a player, as a person that you want to ask in front, you know, with the world smart listening man. right now? That's a smart man. Very, he'll violate any, any defense you try to throw. <laughs> He's throwing it somewhere in them cracks. <laughs> he always find a way. Mm-hmm. Well, we call, is Joe a player's coach? Yeah. yeah. No he, doubt. He shows everything. One thing I know about Joe, Joe's a pretty good Joe. basketball player. You guys play basketball with Joe ever? Man, I cook it. <laughs> Yo, nobody believe me. I beat Coach Dakota before in a one-on-one. Snacks, when did you ever beat me? <laughs> hey, Snacks, tell, tell everybody about the time where when we played two-on-two, who your, uh, who your two-on-two oh, teammate my, my was. Teammate, my teammate was Khalil Mack. It was Khalil Mack. <laughs> and we played Coach Dakota and Coach Wiser, but we still lost. <laughs> How about one-on-one, Khalil Mack versus Joe Licata? Who you got in that game? Three games, Coach Dakota. Yeah. Paint is over, Coach. You're done. <laughs> you you're going to have to shoot till you can't shoot no more. Yeah. Yeah. Khalil Mack, I, he was a basketball player before a football player, at least in high school. That was his, you know, sport that he was pursuing. Yep. He kicked his uh, he kicked his brother off the team so that Snacks could be on his team. Yeah. Yep. And I, I, was, I was eating, but then we lost. <laughs> All right, Snacks, you called before we went on the air. It sounded we FaceTimed with Joe Licata. It sounded like he had a real important issue. Maybe you could let us know. What were you guys getting into? What was so important that you had to FaceTime with your coach today? Oh, we, I, I was just asking him about the uh, the jerseys. We're, we're, we're some, uh, expecting new jerseys this year, and I just wanted to ask him what, what type of accessories we get, you know, pretty player. What type of accessories? Snacks is this type of kid, and so is Woody, that gets ready in front of the mirror before every game and makes sure that they're they're looking all right. The Jerry Rice uh, approach. It's a fact. Look good, play good, right, Coach? Yeah, you are right. <laughs> the gear is very important, no matter where you play. We're wearing we're wearing gold jerseys this year for for the home games, and uh, Snacks is concerned about what kind of what color arm sleeve to wear. Uh, what else? What what else you got to know? Cleats. <laughs> Got to get some raw cleats. Mm-hmm. Got to get some out the box. Football kicking on Monday. Football right. Monday, first day we of practice. Just, we should just hit first day. <laughs> first All day right. Day Speaking Monday. of the gear, before we let Snacks and Woody, who was the other guy, Joe? Is there somebody else there, guys? Connor. Connor. Snacks and Woody oh, and Connor. This sounds like a Toy Story movie. <laughs> before we let you go, we mentioned the gear. Joe's wearing a little bit of timing gear. Joe wore number 16 playing college. He's wearing number two today. Maybe Joe could show the Periscope audience that T-shirt and explain to us the meaning behind it. I noticed that on your cell phone lock screen, why you're wearing these shirts, and you know if anybody wants a shirt like this, where they can get it. Well, uh, so a lot of you guys have heard about um, our player, Woody and Snacks, is one of their best friends, uh, was, was killed, uh, Paul Humphrey. He played for us for two years, um, played linebacker, receiver, running back, uh, do everything kind of football player, but also a, an awesome kid. Um, always had a smile on his face. But um, so he passed a few weeks ago, and uh, we came up with this slogan. Uh, he wore number two. We came up with the slogan that the way we were going to get through this was together as a community, as a family. Um, so we made these shirts, uh, have been selling these shirts at Timon. They're available in the front office, actually, for 20 bucks, um, and the money's going to go back to their family. But Snacks and Woody – our uh, rocking wristbands, too, that say together on them. And uh, on the air, I'll go ahead and say it, Woody is going to wear number two when we open up the season this year. <laughs> <laughs> Some breaking news. 
All right, well, good stuff, guys. I, I don't want to say it's good because it's very unfortunate and it's a terrible thing that you're in this position to have to do that. But the response from Joe, your school, your team, your players has been inspiring and nice to see what you guys are doing to honor your, your friend and your teammate. We're going to let Woody and Snacks and Connor go. Thanks for calling in. You can call in any week to the Tim Graham Show, even if Joe Licata is not here. But just have have something ready. Have a question for us, and we'll get it go, going. Go and, Tigers. Go Tigers. All right, thanks, guys. Diamond Tigers. Sean McDermott's a fan of the Diamond Tigers. Is that he right, Joe? He is. He gave our uh, commencement speech two years ago. It was awesome. I remember really seeing you cool. out of practice meeting Coach Your McDermott first year? last year, and he was excited. Yeah. Time and Tigers, yeah, that's what he yeah. said. He went to an uh, all-boys private school, smaller right. school um, in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yep, so it, reminded, it reminded him a lot of Timon, and he came and spoke at our graduation, and it was awesome. The boys loved it. Yeah, good, good personality, stuff. too. Yeah, he gave a great, great talk. All right, we're going to take a break. Bobby's going to play some commercials. Then a song, and then that'll fade into us coming back in about three minutes. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. These unintended indiscretions heard over the airwaves. I love this story because in this athletic piece, they called up OJ. It blew my mind that we can just call up OJ now, and you know who the big winner in this is? The Tim Graham Show. Pulled out. Gurgling. Such a vagabond he is, too. He's bounced up and down and gone all around. On Twitter at 1270 The Fan. We're back, Tim Graham Show. I'm Jonah Bronstein, co-host Joe Licata, producer Bobby Rosati. Joe, we were talking quarterback play before we went to break. Actually, we were talking time and Tigers before we went to break. But before that, we were talking quarterback play. You gave us your thoughts on Josh Allen. Another quarterback with the Bills you know pretty well, Tyree Jackson. We all know him as University of Buffalo quarterback the last three years. Tallest quarterback in the NFL, I believe. And what was your take if you watched the first preseason game of how he performed in his NFL preseason debut? I thought he looked. I thought he looked good at times. Um, I thought he pressed a little at other times. Um, but that's tough, you know. I, I talked to him a couple weeks ago uh, about when he was going into camp. He asked me, "What's what's your biggest piece of advice?" I said, "Take what they give you." You know, the classic. Take what they give you, but. What people don't realize is, as the third quarterback with all these new rules on practice and stuff, they are only allowed to be out there for an hour and 45 minutes or two hours. So they have practice broken down, and they have all the reps broken down. And if there's 10 plays in a set, Allen might get seven of those. Barkley might get two of them. And Tyree, if he's lucky, gets one. They're trying to they're trying to develop their guys that they have millions of dollars invested in. They gave Tyree a $75,000 signing bonus, which sounds like a lot of money to all of us. But to an NFL franchise, that's pennies. So they have zero invested in him at this point. Um, so in practice, he's not getting a ton of reps, and I know he was a little bit frustrated on it. Uh, I read some of the reports about how he's forcing the ball downfield too much when he does get his chance. And that was something that I faced too was 
you get four reps in all of practice. When I get those four reps, I'm trying to throw a touchdown. I'm not taking the check down. That was my mindset, which eventually got me cut, I think. Um, but I, I know that's frustrating. So, so go back to that performance that he had the other day. I thought he played well at times, like I said, and I thought he looked a little bit uncomfortable at other times, but you got to put yourself in his shoes. He, he was getting plays called for him that he's never ran in practice. That's crazy. That's crazy. So you're asking a kid who played, you know, high level high school football, pretty high level in college to take however many reps in all in all of practice and <clears throat> maybe not run a certain play but then go up against an NFL defense his first ever time, you know. Wow. That, that's 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 a challenge for anybody. So um you want to talk about getting a good look at a, at a guy? Yeah, you got a good look at him. He played a half of football. But is that necessarily a fair assessment of who he is or a fair assessment of what his capabilities are. I think the answer to that's no, but unfortunately um, with all the new rules and, and the money that's involved in, in the top two guys, um, that's the reality of it is that his, he's going to be judged on his preseason performances without any practice. Do you think, if I guess you to play agent a little bit here, what do you think about Buffalo as whether it's a good spot for Tyree or not. The offense, his similarities to Josh Allen, does that work in his favor? Is this the right situation? Because when you're a young player that's kind of on the borderline edge like that, the situation might matter more than anything. Right. Um, is it the right fit? If you're the agent, you don't really care. You you care about him signing and making the, the, the squad. So if you look at it from that perspective as an agent and who's trying to make money and trying to – say that he has a guy that's the a quarterback on an NFL franchise. He doesn't care. All he cares about is does Bean and does McDermott want to carry three guys? And to reference the other part of your statement, you're right. He's very similar to Josh Allen. He's very different than Matt Barkley, but he's very similar to Josh Allen. So does that make sense to keep a third guy who is similar to your starter that can develop and turn into something special? I think yes, personally. But I put a lot of value in the quarterback position. Um, so maybe my answer is a little bit biased, but uh, I think that he's in a really good spot. And he knew that Anderson was going to retire before uh, the draft, and that's why he chose to sign with Buffalo. Um, he did have other options, I believe. I uh, cannot recall which ones, but he did have other options, and he knew that Anderson was retiring, so that's why he wanted to stay in Buffalo. Um, I think he's got a really good chance. I do. He's got to have a good showing um, in preseason game four so that they don't cut him and try to put him on practice squad. Um, and if he does that, then I think he'll secure a spot, I hope. Now with Tyree playing for the Bills, Tyree Jackson playing for the Bills, that leaves uh, an opening for who's going to be the UB quarterback, something you know a bit about, quarterback in the UB Bulls. What's kind of your insight? You have a little <clears throat> bit of knowledge on there's three quarterbacks coming back, Kyle Van Treese, Matt Myers from West Seneca West, Dominic Johnson, a uh, Canadian player who was on the basketball team during their run to the NCAA tournament two seasons ago and part of last season. What do you know about these three guys? There's also freshman Trevor Basinski, freshman Aaron Chase, walk-on from Star Point who are getting practice reps, but it seems like those three, Dom Johnson, Matt Myers, Kyle Van Trees, one of those three is going to be the starting right. quarterback at the start of the season for UB. Right. What's your take on that three-way battle? Um. Dom Johnson's a big physical 
he's what six five, six six, at least. Uh, great athlete and can really throw the football, drive the ball downfield, and and he's athletic. And then Van Treese is not Dom Johnson. Van Treese is not Tyree Jackson. Van Treese looks more like I do, physically. He's a little bit shorter than those guys. He's not as athletic, but he's a he's a heady football player. Uh, he's really smart. Um, he makes seems to make a lot of the right reads and uh, can get the ball where it needs to go. And then you got a a, a kid in Matt Myers um, who I think really benefited from the new uh, redshirt rule that you got to you get to play in four games. Um, he seemed to be comfortable out there. He ran for a touchdown last year. Had a few uh, had a few passing downs and everything, and played pretty well in a couple games. And um, he's he's a mix of both. I think uh, he's a six four, two hundred and thirty pound kid um, who's a really physical runner. He won a state championship at at West Seneca West because of how physical of a runner he was. Teams could not stop him. Um, and I think that translates a little bit into college. Uh, he can run the football. He can throw it a little bit. And um, it'll be an interesting three-way battle. Um, but, you know, you mentioned the two freshmen, uh, Bazinski and, and Chase. I know – I've known Aaron for the last three years. I went to Starpoint. Uh, absolute stud. Probably the purest passer out of those guys. Um, he's got great feet. A uh, little bit undersized. But um, – always is very attentive to detail and I think he's got a really bright future ahead of him so it'll be it, it seems to be a really good quarterback room they're all young right now um, but it's one of the best quarterback rooms in that conference I'll ask you a question I get asked I was asked this on the Jerry Sullivan show yesterday morning is this a concern to UB fans to, to the UB coaches UB itself that they don't know who their best quarterback <laughs> is right now it, it is and it isn't um you know, when they <laughs> when you talk about quarterback battles, that usually means you don't have one. When you have three, you have too many. Usually, even in high school, in, you in know high school, in spring and winter, seven on seven ball, who your quarterback yes, is. Yes, you have an idea of, of it for the most part. Except except when you graduate a, a kid who was special. Uh, I don't think that they knew Tyree was going to leave. Um, I think that they were hoping that Tyree would stay one more year and they could develop another guy underneath him. And, and then we'd ha- be having the same conversation. But, you know, you would hope that Myers would have gotten some some uh, more playing time and, and Vantrese and, and same thing with Johnson. Those guys would have gotten a little bit more playing time in games that maybe they were beating some teams um, so that this conversation would be happening again. But next year, as those guys were a year older, a year more mature after getting more experience. But it didn't. So they're in a little bit of a tough spot. I don't think you can go really necessarily wrong with any of these choices, especially because of how good their running game is going to be. I really think that um, the running backs are – that's a really that's that's the most special group on that team. Um, and their offensive line is very good too, except they uh, graduated O'Hagan. But um, I think the running game is going to protect whoever they have taken snaps uh, under center. Does ball. that maybe help Myers because he's the best runner of the quarterback group and maybe they could be a – Run-oriented, it depends. Option football type offense. It depends what they want to do. Um, if they want to, I, like I know Tyree's sophomore season, uh, he ran the football a lot. He did, and then he got hurt. And then when he came back as a junior, he I know for a fact he walked in and said, "I don't want to run the football anymore." And so they changed it, and they ran with they ran a, they ran a power offense, and then they spread it out to throw it, and they were very very successful. And he was the offensive player of the year in the conference. Um, can, Myers can do. 
what Tyree did as a sophomore physically. He can do that. Uh, so can Johnson. I don't know that Vantrese can necessarily do that. I don't know that that's his skill set. But, I don't think so either. But but if they want to hand the turn around and hand the ball off in a power running offense, Vantrese can do that very well and then throw play action off of it. So I think it all depends what they want to do. Um, coach Z as uh, a quarterback coach. I think he's done a great job uh, over there and helping out calling the offense. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I think from being out to a few practices that we're going to see two, if not three, quarterbacks playing in the first game against Robert Morris, if not also in the second game at Penn State, mm-hmm. and that we'll find out more after one, two, maybe even three weeks into the season who the quarterback is yeah. and who the quarterback's going to be. And that this is a – it's almost – those aren't preseason games, but in terms of this quarterback composi- competition, they could be treated as – preseason games well we you know we can make our speculations we can go to practice we could see who has a good day who has a bad day but realistically these guys are sitting in meetings all day too and they're they're getting on the chalkboard i'm sorry the whiteboard not the chalkboard anymore they're getting on the whiteboard and drawing stuff up and talking through defenses and breaking down film and going over stuff with their coaches they've spent you know I shouldn't say how many hours right now because it's probably illegal. Um, I thought you were going to say money. I was. They've spent. Whoa. (laughs) No, they've probably gone over in their hours. Um, But no, but they they spend from from six thirty in the morning until ten at night just doing football. So at this point in time, one of one of those guys, I'm sure, has won over the hearts of a lot of the guys in the locker room and has won over a lot of the coaches. you, You have to have an idea of who the guy is if you're in that locker room right now all right bobby we're going to take a break let's do it tim graham show we'll be back with an interview i'm really excited about mark Mark coppola the maestro of main street williamsville south damon college now doing some really cool stuff we'll let him explain we'll let joe introduce us to a good friend high school teammate and we'll have some fun with that when we get back From the Salino and Barnes Studios, don't wait. Call 8-W-H-L-D Niagara Falls, Buffalo. Your home for the CBS Sports Radio Network. Download the TuneIn app so you can take Sports Radio 1270 The Fan with you wherever you go. This is Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yonk, I love sausage. Thank you, Tim. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, the Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, the fan. Wet mall. Taking your calls at 270-1270. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? Uh-oh. All right, we're back. Tim Graham Show. Sans Tim Graham. Down diddling some pole in South Carolina. Might even be in North Carolina by now, but not here. We got Joe Licata in studio. Bobby Rosati producing Fat Clouds of Vape. That's what he's producing. (laughs) And we got a good friend of the show on the line. Teammate, friend of our co-host, Joe Licata. 
basketball player that I watched in high school at Williamsville South playing with Joe Licata, then at Damon College. He's now involved in basketball at the coaching level. The maestro of Main Street, they call him that because he set assist record second all-time in Western New York high school assist record in high school, all-time leading assist at Damon, about 12, 1,300 assists when you total them all up in those eight years. That's a lot. Mark, how you doing? Good. First of all, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, happy to have you on. Well, first question, we got to get the serious one out of the way because I asked Joe and he doesn't know. So it's Mark Coppola, but no <laughs> relation to Francis Ford Coppola, the director of The Godfather. Same spell. You no, know, I wish I could tell you, but uh, the mafia might have to come after you. So <laughs> oh, I you couldn't, couldn't either t- confirm or deny that. Yeah, couldn't even tell us that that was true. Well, I wonder another thing you could tell me, and it maybe a different mafia will come after us if you say the wrong thing here. But you played high school basketball with Joe Licata. You set these assist records while he was setting the three point records. You know what kind of, how good of a high school player was Joe? What could he have maybe been if if football wasn't the sport he pursued, and maybe if he had played basketball in college? Uh, that's a great question. Well, first off, probably when I was in high school you asked me this, um, I probably wouldn't say he could play at the next level uh, just because his defense was not his best attribute. <laughs> but, no, I'm just messing around. Um, I think he was a phenomenal basketball player for a variety of reasons. I mean, first of all, and all the people I've seen play – like live with the exception of, you know, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, Joe is probably the best shooter I've ever seen in my life. And in practice, it used to be a spectacle to watch. Uh, I even remember one time we were playing, uh, we were trying to prepare against a two, three zone. The team was going to prepare for us. And Joey hit, I think like 12 or 13 threes in a row from the corner. And our coach at the time, Al Monaco just threw his hands up and it's like, okay, let's just move on from this. Cause it was kind of a waste of time. So to answer the second part of your question, I think he would have been a great fit at a low or mid-Division One school. Again, with his ability to stretch the floor, being a three-point shooter, and obviously some of his weaknesses would be, you know, athleticism, running up and down in a defense. But I think in any scenario, you can kind of hide him, you know, in the pack in that regard, and he's just such a threat offensively and he's an extremely intelligent basketball player, as he was football. So, hey, Thanks, Mark. I didn't pay him anything to say that either. No, he didn't. Joe is still <laughs> the all-time leading three-point shooter in Western New York. 354 threes, Joe? 343. 343. Still, that's over 1,000 points just from beyond the three-point line. And how many points did you finish with? Uh, somewhere around 1450. Yes. I don't know. Didn't score from all three levels. He wasn't one of those type yeah. of guys. <laughs> no. thing I like, he could score mid-range, but we just never had to. No. So. Also, Joe set all these records for touchdown passes in high school and college, completed a lot of passes, one of the best passers in Western New York sports history. But what about on the basketball court? How many assists did you have, Joe? Uh, I didn't pass the ball very much, uh, <laughs> except I took the ball out, so I got all the assists on inbounds plays, but – uh, other than that, I didn't really have very many assists. Mark, ever, Mark Mark passed it to me in basketball. I gave it to him in football. Yeah, did you ever think that was weird, Mark, that he was never diamond people up on the basketball court? No, because then I, I would have been useless. So <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. All right, Mark, uh, explain to us where you're calling from. I, actually, I didn't introduce that at the start. 
Tell us oh, where okay. you are and why you are not in Buffalo anymore, why you're doing what you're doing down there. Yeah, so um, right now I'm in Dallas, Texas. Uh, I had a great opportunity uh, for an internship within player development, and I kind of had an interesting path to get here, but um, pretty much like three years ago, I would say uh, it was the, the hoop group. I'm not sure if you guys are too familiar yeah. with what that is. But it's pretty much a showcase camp for kids to come and showcase their talents, usually from smaller schools. So it's also a good place for coaches to kind of grow who want to get into college basketball and meet other um, Division One, Two, II, and Three basketball coaches. So during that internship, and actually who got me, as a side note, into the internship was Pat Stasiak, who also went to Will South. And then his brother at the time was the all-time leading scorer at Winslow South. Unfortunately, Pat didn't have uh, quite the athleticism with Bill, but he's a very smart basketball player. And a coach. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's the director and, uh, of, so director of basketball at there. Colgate. Go ahead. He's a, uh, Pat's now the director of basketball operations at Colgate. Yep. Exactly. He, yeah, at Cornell. Oh, I'm so, sorry. NCAA tournament team. No, sorry, Colgate. Right. Yeah, Colgate. Colgate. Colgate, sorry. And then I was thinking of Greg Dawn. No. Um, so, anyways... From there, I met this guy named Ari Stern, and long story short, I went on my little basketball journey from spot to spot. I was at Damon College. I had the opportunity to volunteer coach in Italy, um, and how I got that was uh, with a teammate I played with at Damon, Gerald Beverly, who's a very, very good player as well. And then I was doing like a mini G League tour, um, if that's how you want to say it, just going to as many practices and games uh, around the NBA and just trying to meet as many people. So when I was visiting the Texas Legends, um, Bob McKinnon, he is a Buffalo guy, great coach. Uh, he was coaching the Legends at the time, so he hosted me for the week. And while I was out here, I met with Ari Stern just for dinner, and Ari was working in the same position I am this year, last year. And he's like, what are you doing next year? And he knew I was trying to get in the NBA, so – um, they said they wanted people to recommend other people for the position. Then I went through the uh, interview process, and now uh, here I am. That's interesting. I, I didn't know the Bob McKinnon connection. His father – this is Bob McKinnon yep. Jr. You're talking yes. about, correct? Yeah. yeah, his father, Coach Canisius, and yep. then the Buffalo Braves among the other New NBA. New Jersey, New Jersey Nets. Nets, yep. Yep. And, and, and we actually played with uh, Bob McKinnon's grandson in high school also, Kevin O'Connell. Yeah. Small world, all the people from Will South all have a, a hand in that. <laughs> Mark, who's your who's your coaching uh, inspiration? Who do you try to well, emulate the most question. as a coach? Um, I'd say definitely, I know this is probably everyone's answer. It was Coach K. I'd say now it's a little bit of Greg Popovich. And then my third one would probably be, um, and I forget his name, but just the way they play. Um, he was, he's like European, uh, considered Europe's best coach. Uh, he coached for, uh, uh, Barons and they're incredible. But then just on a more personal note, I mean, I had the opportunity to play with or play for and coach with great coaches in the Western New York area, uh, Al Monaco, um, Don Silveri, and then Mike McDonald. So, I mean, I was really blessed to have 
different learning experiences from all different great coaches in the area. With what you're doing now, or going to be doing player development intern with the Dallas Mavericks, is that in any way similar to, I know you trained one-on-one training with players when you were living here in Buffalo. Obviously, yeah. they're much better players, but are you? is that a similar concept to when you're working with a seventh grader on, on developing his skills? Um, I, it's definitely it's the same, same mindset, I guess, but obviously, like you just said, the NBA is a lot different. And my particular role, as much as I want to glamorize it, I'm pretty much going to be like a glorified rebounder and um, kind of go through the motions and help the head player development coach do whatever is necessary to help them. So a good example I'll use is let's say a player is really talented, really athletic, but they want them to be able to stretch the floor and shoot threes, let's say from the corner in today's NBA game. So before practice, he'll come in and work on situations where he's moving without the ball and shooting a lot of volume shots from the corner or wherever the coach wants him to improve on. So it's, and then from the really good players, like let's say, I don't know, for example, last year, Dirk Nowinski, there's not necessarily anything I'm going to tell him that's going to change his perspective or get him a lot better, but it's more just maintenance work with him to continue to um, sustain his greatness, I guess. And then you might play some scout team point guard. Did I read that correctly somewhere? Yeah, so I, I'm just, I, I think, I don't know, from the pe- people I talked to last year who was doing the internship, uh, they said they were able to do um, some of that. So, like, let's say they're preparing for the, let's say the Clippers, for example. Um, I would simulate whatever the point guard does on the screen and roll. So, if it's drop defense under the screen and roll, if I'm switching, or uh, vice versa, on the offensive end, just I'll run the sets that the Clippers run so that they can kind of get an idea of what's out there. So um, from what I'm told, that's a little bit I'm going to be doing. So that's going to be pretty cool to be on the floor with all those guys. How, how much film do you think you're going to have to watch? Um, I, I don't know how much is going to be required for me, but obviously I want to try to be the best coach I can. Uh, so even right now I've been watching a lot of film, just getting to know the guys in preparation when I meet them. So I can kind of get a feel of what their tendencies are, maybe things that I see that they could uh, potentially work on. Um, so just kind of, kind of all those things, I mean, whenever you're watching film. So, Mark, Mark you're going to walk onto a court and see guys that are, you know, making millions of dollars and who are established and all that, all that great stuff. They're great basketball players. How do you gain their respect? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, I learned the answer to that last year. So the team I was coaching in Italy, we had some really talented guys. We actually had uh, two former NBA guys on our team. So I think the thing with that is you can't just come into a situation and think you know everything because these players are really smart and, you know, they want to gain a a trusting relationship and they got to know to see if you actually know what you're talking about. So I think at the beginning, it's more establishing um, a level of respect and that you prove to them that you're a hard worker, you know what you're talking about. And then from there, I think that's when you can start giving information to kind of help them, like what you're saying, that a guy's making millions of dollars, why would he just listen to me off the beginning? So I think it's more just developing that relationship from a professional standpoint 
And then once they become more comfortable with you, uh, you're able to, like I said, give them more information and more value to whatever they're doing in their games. What was this last year like for you, living and coaching in Italy? And maybe you could take us back a little bit to the decision to go over there. Was this an easy decision? It seems like a little bit of a different career path from what you were doing before. Yeah. Um, so just going to the decision first to go over to Italy, um, how it all started was I was just joking. My friend, Gerald Beverly, was joking. He said, hey, you should uh, see if you can come volunteer coach over with me because, you know, the overseas lifestyle is lonely. So he wanted just someone there that he knew. And I just started thinking, and I'm like, this could actually be a great opportunity. I doubt it could ever happen, but why not? So I sat and talked to Mike McDonald before because – it was technically kind of a two-year thing, a graduate assistant, meaning that, like it was supposed to be a two-year commitment. So, again, I wanted to talk to him because it was just done with my first year because I didn't want to do anything to go over his head and just be completely clear and ask what he thought of it and if he was okay with me reaching out to the team. And I obviously asked him for his advice. And he goes, Mark, I can't tell you yes or no. He goes, I think it could be a really good opportunity, though. And how coaches make it, their paths very, very differently. And I obviously want to keep advancing in my career. So um, I reached out to the coaches and then me and my friend actually visited Italy. We toured Italy a little bit. And my plan was, okay, I'm going to talk to the coaches in person. If it goes well, I'm just going to stay and not fly home. And if they don't have anything to do with me, I'll just go home and continue with Damon the following year. So me and my friend meet the team for a scrimmage. It's about 1 p.m. and their game's at 7, and the coach just happens to be in the lobby when I'm visiting Gerald. So I go and talk to him. We have probably a 15- or 20-minute discussion, and he said, this actually sounds great because we want someone who knows basketball who can also speak English, and obviously you have a, a – background playing so let me talk to the head coach and I'll let you know and then two days later they let me know and they said uh I could coach and that's kind of how that worked out so Mark what's your what's your end goal with this are you, do you want to be I mean I read the Amherst B article saying you might want to be a head coach yeah. one day um is that in the high school level college level NBA where's where do you see yourself ideally so ideally I think the dream right now I guess just before I go into that I just know I want to be in the basketball industry right. in some type of capacity and just making this decision I just know like this is where I want to be um, but I think right now my vision is to become an NBA head coach um, I, like I said I enjoyed the professional experience a lot but that's not to say if an opportunity opens up at a let's just say any division one college or, or Division Two or Division Three, that's like very enticing. Because um, at the end of the day, I just want to be around basketball, and I want to help either professional or young kids get to where they want to be. So, I, I think the the main main thing I want to do again is just be involved in basketball. Um, but I do want to become a, a head coach. Maybe that's just a little bit of ego involved, but um, <laughs> that's what uh, that's what drives me every day. So I just. I'm sure you know this, Joe. There's nothing like uh, you can't really get that feeling back of competition. 
no. um, like you, when, when you're playing. So I guess that's what I'm chasing. That's awesome. So how, what what's your next step then? So you you're doing this internship now, and and yeah. hope, ho- hopefully this this leads you to what? Yeah. So they've pretty much said in the past that they've had really good interns that they wanted to hire, but unfortunately, it's kind of a gridlock because if someone's in the organization and they're not going to a job that advances their career, they're not going anywhere. So they're not in a position just to create uh, positions for different interns uh, every year. Um, but they said pretty much if you do a really good job and we like you, we'll do everything we can to help you on your next job. So whether that be down to the G League for an assistant job or a video coordinator job or in the NBA film room as an assistant video coordinator or even last year, the guy who got me the job is now the graduate assistant at Duquesne. And it's a really good spot. That's LeBron James's old high school coach. And he coached at the University of Akron under Keith Dambrot. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, I, I, I'm hoping that leads to something in the NBA. That's what I'm envisioning my next step. But I guess only time will tell. So it, in the football realm, if you go to college coaching and you GA in college, a lot of times you end up staying in college. Is it similar yep. in basketball? Yes, exactly. That's kind of why I was really pushing to get in the NBA because it's a lot easier to go NBA to college right. than going to college rank and then climbing up in the NBA because I haven't spoke to um, Mike Gansey. I'm not sure if you remember who that is, but he was the um, he's the assistant general manager of the Cavs right now. Wow. And his piece of advice was, he said, you have people, he, he had guys that he saw in the NBA that were making like over 100000 in college and ended up accepting a, a salary of twenty to 30000 in the G League just because they had to start over again. So I really took that advice to heart, and that was my main objective was to get in the NBA somehow. Ganzi, obviously he played at St. Bonaventure, transferred to West Virginia to play under John yep. Beeline, and has got, was at Cleveland. A little bit of the connection to John Beeline getting to the Cavs, um, I would think. Yeah, I think so too, but I'm not privileged to that information. <laughs> All right, Mark, I know you're a big Bills fan. Yeah, huge. Bigger than Joe is, bigger than me. Yeah, definitely, definitely. bigger than Bobby, who's wearing four – pieces of Patriots paraphernalia right now. Oops. I know that. I almost never wanted to go into the studio again once I saw Bobby. <laughs> yeah, he walks in the door, shakes my hand, and looks behind me, and there's Patriots all over. So what do you think, <laughs> coming off of the first preseason game, coming into the second preseason game, what's your take on where the Bills are? How do you feel about the Buffalo Bills season coming up? So um, I should have been a little more prepared for this question, but I missed the whole first half of the game. And we, we went to a Bills bar down here. So I only caught the second half. But from what I saw, the, the defense looks really good. And it, it's just so hard to judge from preseason. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of a tough question to well, answer. Well, you know, you know who they got and, and yeah. the strengths and well, the weaknesses. Like, Are you optimistic for this season? Excuse me? Are you optimistic? Uh, you know? Yeah. I, I'd say I'm very optimistic. This is probably the first time in three three or four years that I feel very confident about our team. I'm not 
sold on Josh Allen still, but uh, at the end of the day, I know I was talking about this with um, with Jerry when I was on that. This team reminds me a lot of the Carolina team with Cam Newton when they made their uh, Super Bowl run. And I'm not saying we're going to go to the Super Bowl, but I feel like they have the same dynamic where they didn't necessarily have that one guy that they would throw to all the time. They had a lot of weapons, and it was just Cam being Cam and making things happen, and then followed by just a stout defense. And I really, really like our defense this year. I'm a big fan of Leslie Frazier as our defensive coordinator. So um, I'm pretty optimistic. What do you guys think? We actually just talked about how um, Josh Allen. Well, we we had Tim on the show earlier, his own show, yeah. and uh, he had written a, <laughs> he had written an article about the comparison between Josh Allen and Cam Newton, and kind of talked about all the stuff that they're similar at, but then how it's not necessarily fair because, um, you know, th- they are different players, but they do yeah. remind a lot of player a lot of people of each other. So I. We were trying to decipher who his best NFL comparison was, Josh Allen's, um, yeah. and that was probably the best one we came up with. Yeah, I mean, I just think he's like the kind of guy that stuff's going to break off, and then that's when he makes his plays. I still think, you know, the point guard in me, I'm watching him. I think he's a little late on his throws, but I haven't watched enough film to actually make a correct assessment about that. All right, Mark, it's uh, it's Magic Johnson's 60th birthday today mentioned obviously the point guard position who is yeah. your favorite point guard of all time oh joe coming with a good question Come on, you know um, i always i always ask these good ones lebron james no. um <laughs> i'd say lebron that's counts. your favorite that is your favorite player though right of all time yeah no he is so I, I guess that's I two JJ different Redick questions then jj reddick is you're a duke fan that's right yeah. who who's your favorite um, point guard I, and then who was your favorite point guard to watch and then who did you try to uh, play like, and I know if, if me and you were not on the air right now, you just say I play like Marco Polo, but um, <laughs> who who did you try to emulate your game after, and who was your favorite point guard to watch? It could be two different answers. Okay, this is going to be just a shocking answer, but for some reason, I was a big Allen Iverson fan, but I loved watching Andre Miller play. Really? And yeah, That's a, no, that's a coach's like a answer big, right there. It's a pure point say? guard. Yeah, that's a, that's a coach, that's a, that's a coach's answer. Every yeah. every fan of basketball would say Allen Iverson, but the coach in you says Andre Miller. Right. Yeah, like just I mean, just watching the games for some reason, whenever he was on, I would never change the channel. I thought he was just extremely intelligent. He was very good defensively. Um, he couldn't really shoot, uh, shoot that well, but his alley passes were on spot every time. And I mean, he played in the league for I think over ten years. Yeah, forever. Like, just kind of shows that. You know, he could play. You know who reminds yeah. me of Andre Miller that a lot of people, if you only know on the surface, would be surprised is Lonzo Ball. I think you take the hype out yeah. of it. He plays a lot like Andre Miller. I think it's a great comparison, too. Um, I'd say who would I try to emulate my game after? Um, that's, a, that's a tough one. I just I, I think I've taken so many pieces from so many people's games. I guess maybe... This is, but I don't shoot a lot. But I'd say Allen Iverson a little bit. That's who a guy I really idolized, and I just, I guess, more of his uh, how competitive he was and his approach to the game. 
I didn't sh- shoot 30 times a game like him, but Mark, I'd say uh, that's kind of who I emulated my game around. Mark was also the greatest smack talker I've ever been <laughs> around. Really? And nobody ever knew it either. There'd be a couple, you know, hundreds or thousand people in the stands, and, and Mark would cover up his face with his jersey and just talk and talk and talk. And nobody knew it until, except for the uh, the ten people that were on the court. It was pretty incredible. <laughs> well, I, I my one rule, though, is I never started the trash talk. That, that's that's probably true. I don't know that that's true. And Sorry, and, and for people I didn't know, how about that? Okay, there you go. Better answer. But. I mean, Joe, you'll appreciate this. The, the real reason I trash talked was I was watching uh, a clip of Michael Jordan, and he was spot on. He said when you start trash talking to people, they try to turn it into a one-on-one game. Right. But you realize it's a, a bigger a bigger game than what you're playing. So Absolutely. Um, I'm like Michael Jordan, I guess. <laughs> there it is. Mark Coppola says he plays just like Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for calling us, Mark. Feel free to call us back any week. We don't have to have Joe here. You can talk trash to me and Tim. Give us some NBA right, insights. They always like to ask me for all the NBA stuff, so I wouldn't mind having a another hoops guy jump in and, and take some of the load. Yeah, right. give me a blow. Me take some minutes. All Thank right, have a good one. Guys. Good luck down in Dallas, Mark. All right, thank you. Bye. All right, we're gonna take a break. Joe's got to get out of here. Got we'll be back. Meeting. See if there's anything to talk about with the Sabres, NHL, hockey. Now that Joe's out of the room, he didn't want to talk about any of that. Yeah. (laughs) We'll be back. This is the Tim Graham Show. I'll say it right to his face. I'll say it right to his face in cursive. He knows if he comes over, I'll scissor kick his gizzard and break his karate artery. We ain't supposed to have livestock in this neighborhood, yet you married a sea cow. The Tim Graham Show, taking your calls at 270-1270. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. All right, we're back. Hitting the home stretch. Tim Graham Show with Tim Graham on hiatus, on assignment down in South Carolina slash North Carolina, <laughs> interstate travel. Joe Licata sat with us, carried the show for 90 minutes. Now he's gone. It's just me and Bobby Rosati. And I think it's a little too intimate in here. I don't want to just <laughs> talk to Bobby. <laughs> so we got Chris Baker on the phone, Sabres Prospects, regular guest on this show, part of the Tim Graham Whack Pack. Oh, that's an epic one. How you doing, Chris? Whack Pack. I love that. I've never been referred to as a Whack Pack member, so I, I was doing well before you said that. Now I'm doing great. What's your Whack Pack gimmick? Your Gosh, boy, I don't know. We're going to have to think about that. I mean, it's too new. I mean, we're 30 seconds into my Whack Pack, <laughs> and I guess I haven't really gotten there yet. I'm sure we'll think of something. I sad. guess that's for me to decide. You know, It's like your nickname. You don't pick your nickname, and you don't right. pick your Whack Pack gimmick. Yeah, so I'm sure you'll let me know. I'm sure you'll let me know. We'll decide. Well, your gimmick on this show is you know a lot more about hockey than I do and a lot more about hockey, particularly prospects, than most anybody else. So we got you on to update us on what is going on in the middle of August in the NHL. Well, you know, it's really funny. 
because we are in kind of that dead spot, you know, but a um, little over a month away from when training camp's going to begin. And, you know, you're sitting here looking at the Sabres roster wondering, you know, how much different is it going to be um, when they hit camp than where they really left off last year when the season ended in April, because they've had a lot of new bodies come in. I mean, put it this way, Jonah, you're, you're looking at a team, the Sabres, they're one of four teams in the league that's over the salary cap. Salary cap's going to be set at $81.5 million. Sabres are currently at 82.55 and change. But, you know, when you go over the cap, it's usually because, um, you know, you go over the cap when you're competitive. You know, when you're coming off of good season and you have all these players that you just desperately need to retain. That's really when a team usually goes over the cap. Can't really say that about the Sabres. You know, they're not really checking any of those boxes. Um, so it's really going to be interesting to see how Jason Botterill maneuvers here in the coming weeks. Now, loyal listeners of the Tim Graham show uh, who have been paying attention this past summer, I think they're probably familiar with the fact that, you know, we've, we've thought that Rasmus Ristolainen was not happy in Buffalo. Well, now it's pretty much out there and confirmed that he's not happy in Buffalo. And, you know, there's one way to alleviate some cap pressure is to uh, get rid of that contract. You know, Ristolainen's making $5.4 million for three more years. That's going to get you under the cap. Now you're probably going to take some salary back on in return to do that. So there's still going to be more maneuvering that Jason Botterill's need going to do. I think he's going to have to get a little savvy using long-term injury reserve potentially you know, you have Lawrence Pilot. Now, he wouldn't be an LTIR candidate, in my opinion, but he's coming off an injury. Zach Bogosian, he's going to enter camp coming off surgery, so he's not going to be on the ice. So, you know, there's going to be this game, I think. It's almost like a shell game. Jason Botterill's going to have to move some salaries around a little bit, both internally to injured reserve to stay under the cap, but also, um, I think, long-term, you know, risk the line and with that news coming out. For anyone who's not been paying attention, he told a MTV sports outlet over in Finland that basically it's almost like Ryan O'Reilly all over again. You know, he's kind of not having fun playing hockey and not enjoying his time in Buffalo. I think, you know, it's pretty much clear he wants to move on. So that's the soap opera really that we have uh, here in Buffalo right now with the Sabres. It's what are they going to do with Ristolainen? And Chris, do you think that means as it, as it did with Ryan O'Reilly that it's not a matter of if, but when, the Sabres trade Rasmus Ristolainen? I do. I do. I think at this point, you know, this has been going on. This isn't a new concept. I think that anyone who's kind of been privy to the Ristolainen camp for the past two to three years, it's been pretty understood that he hasn't been the happiest guy here. Losing does take its toll, you know, and um, I, I do think he'll be moving. I think Jason is ready to accommodate him. It's all about, you know, the fact that he should still have value despite his metrics. And it's uh, all about a, a trade that makes sense for the Sabres. You know, I don't want to sit here and sound like a GM and kind of give that whole spiel, you know, but I do believe that's the case with Jason Bottle. He's not just going to give risk the line in a way. So things can happen when teams hit the ice. Teams can suffer, you know, an injury to a key defensive player in training camp. I mean, it could pay off for Jason Bottle to kind of hold the card a little bit and wait for something like that to happen, as sad as that may be. You know, you're waiting for someone else to get hurt, you know. But that's only one of maybe many scenarios that could present themselves to Jason Botterill to finally make that trade. So it is, it's when, not if. How much does the cap situation the Sabres are in, which you, you detailed a few minutes ago, complicate 
Aristolainen trade? Is it something that gets in the way and, and makes there less options for the Sabres to trade him away? No, I mean, I think it's part of the puzzle, but it's not, not going to preclude them from doing anything. I mean, we don't know the situation right now with Zach Bogosian. Okay, he had a, um, I believe it was hip surgery. I double-checked that because it's been months now and a lot of, a lot of beer has been drank between uh, the end of the season and now. But, I mean, we don't know the health of his, his body. And if he's not ready to go, I mean, he could be an LTIR candidate, long-term injury reserve, which, you know, you actually get that money back on the cap if you, you know. So there, there could be savvy ways to use it there. I don't think risk the line in the whole cap thing. I mean, you know, you could, you could look at it on paper and say, oh, man, you know, the easiest thing that the Sabres could do to get under the cap is to move risk the line in. But they don't necessarily have to move him to get under and alleviate that cap pressure. Um, so, like I said, I think there's couple different ways that Botterill can skin this cat as it relates to the cap, as it relates to a saline, and that's the fun part of following along here, what's going to happen, you know, really a little over a month from now. That was an interesting choice of words there, skin this cat. How many ways do you know of that you can skin a cat? Well, I mean, how many different kind of blades do you have? I mean, technically, those are different ways to skin a cat. You can also start at the tail, Jonah. You can start at the neck. You can, you know what I mean? Come on. We, we can go around in circles here. I think there's multiple <laughs> ways to skin a cat, Jonah. Well, that's what people say. There's more than one way. I'm thinking, I just know. Well, I'm going to document them. I'll, I'll bring you my list. Noted cat lover, Chris Sabres <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, though, about, you know, one of the things that we really haven't talked about, Jonah, when it comes to the Sabres is that, you know, you have a team here. I kind of kicked it off at the top of the conversation saying, you know, how much different are, is this team going to be, you know? They brought Skinner back. They, they made a nice acquisition on the blue line with uh, Colin Miller. Um, you know, you got Jimmy Vesey. You've made a couple trades. You picked up uh, Marcus Johansson, who's going to be a really nice, versatile, kind of a Swiss Army knife type of forward for them. But is this year, if you look at it, is this year really about survival? Like, you want to get a little better. Of course, you want to make the playoffs. But I think, like, the true reconstruction of this roster probably happens next summer. If you look at how the, the Sabres' contracts are laid out right now, they have 10 guys hitting unrestricted free agency next summer. And I think that there's an opportunity right there. You know, everyone wants to talk about, I think Elliot Friedman um, used the term roster surgery and everyone got all excited, you know, because it sounds like, oh, big changes are coming, you know, roster surgery. It might not really happen until next year. And the other thing with the contracts is that, you know, 10 UFAs, a lot of them could walk. A lot of them you may want to walk. But that doesn't even include restricted free agents. Sam Reinhardt is going to be a restricted free agent. They got to get the deal done with him next summer. Brandon Montour, who they moved a first-round pick to get, and he's you know theoretically a key member of their blue line moving forward. Could even play start the year with Darlene. You know he could be a guy that's logging major minutes. He's going to be a restricted free agent next year. So as exciting as maybe this whole uh, risk the line and thing could play out, I think like the real fun actually happens next year. Now, is that exciting for Sabres fans? No, they're like, i gotta, I got to put up with another year of this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe a team mired in mediocrity. But I think that's really worth mentioning, is that the real fun and the real dollars start flying around next summer. And I know, again, it's not fun, but that's, that's what we're looking at right now, at least on paper, with how these contracts expire. Well, does that play into the calculus with Ristolainen, then? If the expectations are that maybe they're a year away from contending, and this is a bridge year. Do you keep Rasmus Ristolainen around because he's still kind of young and you want to see if maybe he'll make that leap, or have they reached the point of no return and that wouldn't be 
wise? Is he getting in the way of developing other young defensemen? I think that $5.4 million that Ristolainen is owed this year and the following two seasons, that actually getting rid of that helps the Sabres more next summer than it does actually coming into this camp and getting over this cap situation that we just talked about. You know, they're a million dollars over. Sam Reinhart's going to be due for a really big raise. Um, Rasmus Dahlin in two years is going to get a serious payday. We haven't even mentioned him yet. You know, they, they have a great situation with him on an entry-level contract right now. So when you have Ristolainen, a guy that doesn't want to be here, by the way, they have like nine NHL defensemen right now on their roster under contract. Ristolainen makes sense to move, maybe just based on the fact that he hasn't lived up to expectations since being drafted eighth overall in 2013. But, you know, you have bodies here. You know, you have guys uh, that can play. So I'm not too concerned right now, um, you know, about next year. But, I mean, Ristolainen – Getting that salary off the books, I think it helps you next summer with these these issues that they're going to have with Reinhardt. Reinhardt's going to get a big raise, in my opinion. Hey, Chris, it's Bobby. We're talking about next year, and obviously the Sabres are going to have to start looking uh, goaltending-wise. I mean, Hutton's not getting any younger, and they got some guys in the minors, but uh, specifically looking in. But what do they do after this year? Obviously, they extended, uh, what's his name? Uh, Allmark. But how do you see this goalie situation playing out? I know you're hot on the goalies. Yeah, so I think that Lukanen right now, I mean, they want to get him a full year next year. Okay, so mm-hmm. Rochester, now he's a guy too. He just had double hip surgery. He's not going to be right at the beginning of camp. So they need to get Lukanen up and running and get him ready to go to fight for a job in 2021. Mm-hmm. 2020-21. Okay, so next, next fall's training camp. Right. And he's going to be really the guy moving forward that they're really relying on. There's a lot hinging on his development next year they got to keep drafting more goalies. They just drafted another guy this summer, a 6'6 Swede, mm-hmm. but he's so far out, Eric Pertillo. You're probably going to see him at the World Juniors this year. He's going to play Junior A in Dubuque before going to the University of Michigan. He'll probably play one or two years in Michigan, and then they'll get him into the AHL. Wow. But they need more bodies. Like, if you look at just the NHL roster, so, you know, here I am. I'm answering a question about what they're going to do at the NHL level, and I'm talking about a kid that's yeah. 20 years old and another kid that's 19. That's not a good situation. And I think with Allmark, this is a big year for Allmark because he needs to come in leaner. I think last summer um, there was questions about, was he putting in the work in the off season? And, you know, was he really committed? I mean, you got to remember he was, he was given a job last year. Mm -hmm. Okay. And rather, was it really earned? I don't know, but he was handed this golden ticket. And sometimes he's a little passive. And, you know, goalies are, are funny characters. They're kind of odd guys. But I'm not, I think it's a huge year for him because he started off well. I think he and Hutton were pushing each other, and it was a good situation. The key to the Sabres' winning streak in the beginning of the year was the goaltending. No doubt. But then what happened when they stopped making saves? The team went to crap. So I think it's going to be huge for both of them. I mean, Hutton, I don't really worry about um, – if he's not your number one guy, he's always going to be a really good number two, you know, and you have oh, him yeah. for two more years. So, no, that's a big, that's a big issue, I think, because before they, they drafted Portillo this year, I mean, they only had two prospects in their system. You should be drafting one goalie every year. Right, which is strange, Chris, because you see guys, or, well, not guys, but teams like Washington turn them out, you know, year after year. They, they got another prospect coming up, and they, they can be somewhat judicious with their goaltending. Oh, they got a good one too. You know, you want to talk about a good young goaltender. They yeah, got that, that 
Samsonov kid, that Russian kid. I mean, oh. he started off a little rocky last year. Yes. But he was money down, you know, once really he got past the Christmas break. That kid was yeah. awesome. And, yeah, so, I mean, no, that's it's a great point because um, did they? I don't think they got lucky with Lukanen. You know, they put a lot of, of work into scouting him, understanding him as sure. a human being. And, you know, you're developing not just a hockey player, you're developing a human being. But what you hear about Lukanen from the Sabres is that he makes it easy, okay? He makes it easy because he wants to learn. He wants to get better. He puts in the honest work. Okay. So look at that and contrast that with what we just talked about with Allmark, where, you know, if you have to have guys going over to Sweden a couple times a summer to make sure he's doing the work, you know, there's just different animals. Mm-hmm. So, th- and I think that that whole thing, it's not about, oh, his save percentage last year. You know, it, it came into play in his, his arbitration and his negotiation of the contract. He wanted a pretty good amount of money. Sabres were like, we're going to offer you 750 I think was the number. That was a clear indication that they just weren't happy with his work habits. It wasn't all just about his on-ice production. Right. So, yeah, more to come. But Lukanen, for Sabres fans that are really curious about this kid, he's a real deal. Mm. He's a real deal. He just needs time, and he's going to get it next year in Rochester once he's healthy. Something to be excited about. Indeed. All right, Chris. Due to my poor time management earlier in the show, we're going to jump to a break right now. You can maybe hang out with us through the commercial break and jump back on. You can take off. We're going to let the listeners guess what's going to happen in that regard. (laughs) And we'll be back in a few minutes. To the Tim Graham Show. Place is not open till Tuesday. Am I not saying it right? It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. The Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Al blows us. Maybe not today, but Al. Al blows us. They were working on wet ball drills. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Well, what's the uh, the time period for when you can watch that off? Now on Sports Radio 1270. The Fan. Tune in radio. Sports 1270.com. And on the Fan's app. Your wife will never know. We're back. Tim Graham Show. Tim Graham Podcast. If you're listening to this later on. Apple iTunes. You can subscribe there. Live on Periscope Twitter, we're in conversation with Chris Baker, Sabres Prospects, was with us before the break. He's still on the phone. We can't get rid of him. <laughs> we asked him to stay. I'm like a rash. I am like a rash. <laughs> oh. You know what's funny, Jonah, just to jump back in, because I know we only have like literally a minute, unless you've got a, yeah, about three unless minutes. You got a, a, a read you need to do. But catching up on some news for today, because I, I had a humdinger of a work day, so I'm a little behind, but... What's up with this clowny stuff? Have you guys talked about this already? Is it legit? Is it not legit? We had, the Bills even want to trade for him right now. We had the namesake of the show, Tim Graham, calling in from South Carolina earlier and really pouring water on it, saying there's nothing to it. Now, I don't know if that means that clowny doesn't make a little bit of sense for the Bills and the Bills don't make some sense for clowny and that something could happen eventually. But the actual, any report that came out today, if you want to call it that, is erroneous and misguided. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay, because it was like trending, you know, at least on my Twitter timeline. Oh, it, it was like everyone was absolutely talking about clowning. trending. Yeah. Okay. 
but it doesn't it, seem intimate. It, it didn't come from a national reporter or a Houston reporter or a Buffalo reporter necessarily. It came from a podcast and some questionable sourcing as to why that report got out there. And pretty much everybody that we trust, Tim Graham, John Waro, a lot of the Bills reporters have said there's nothing to that report. It just seems like the last time they got a, a pass rusher from Houston, I don't think it really worked out that well. And, um, you know, Mario and even like Jeff Posey. <laughs> Remember Jeff Posey was like supposed to be a pass rushing linebacker. He didn't really work out either. I guess I would just stay away, you know. I guess I would just stay away for now. He's a monster, though, Cloudy. Yeah, he's but a big boy. You would have to pay him a ton of money, right, like next year. And would you even be able to retain him? Well, that's the question. It's sort of like trading for Khalil Mack, whether the Bills were serious about that in the past. It's not that he's not a great player that couldn't help the Bills' defense and probably be their best pass rusher. It's just the compensation and what the Bills would have to give up just to trade for Clowney and then how much they'd have to pay him and whether that's all worth it. It isn't really whether, oh, can we help our team by making this trade. It's (laughs) whether the overall payment is worth it. And I'm not so sure with the past. The Bills, the current branches, Brandon Bean, they haven't really shown an inclination to put – a lot of investment into one player financially and with the picks that you trade. Now, they've done that a little bit with trading up in the draft for Josh Allen and other players, but they haven't really gone all in on a veteran yet, and I don't know if they're at the stage where they would want to do that yet. Right on. Well, don't let me hijack your last minute. I had to ask that question. <laughs> no, yeah. go ahead. I mean, we very we, relevant content. <laughs> so... um no, that that was really my main question, Jonah. I mean, we got about a minute left. How was your uh, how was your tour of duty today, hosting the Tim Graham show? What's your report? Well, I kind of like it. I like being here on the other side with a comfortable chair instead of standing leaning against the wall. Yeah, and it's a little bit easier to be in control of the conversation flow, but it's also more pressure to actually have to come up with something interesting to say. And I don't know whether I did that or not, but it's fun. Well, I'll go back and I'll listen, because I did miss about the first, you know, hour and a half of this <laughs> show. And, and I'll give you honest feedback. And I'm sure Bobby will, too. Oh, Bobby, yeah. though, he always gives – Bobby gives the same feedback. Every, yeah, oh, yeah, every, every week, segment right? is awesome. <laughs> Bobby has never yeah. told us that any segment we've ever done wasn't great or awesome yeah, or one of the best ever. I'm like the coach. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, I'm excited to watch the uh, the Bills. Uh, you know, I like preseason football for some reason, at least week two and week three. I think it's fun. I think it's because you and, bet on uh, it. That's why you like it. Well, hey, listen, you know, thanks for, for telling everyone that I'm a degenerate, but you know, that is accurate. <laughs> I haven't checked the line yet, Oops. but I will. Um, no, that's okay. Hey, you know, my mom's not listening. She doesn't control I mean, my money obvious. anymore. Anyways, it's the I'm only 40, reason. I'm 43 really years old, right? <laughs> but, um, no, I think it's going to be good. I mean, what are you looking for in 30 seconds, I guess, probably what we have left? Is there something that you're looking for in the game? No, what are you looking for? You're the one that watches. More Singletary. I mentioned it last week when we were together. I think that kid's uh, legit talent. I just want to see more of him. I want to see more of him because I like drama, and I think that the more that he produces and opens eyes, I think it puts its onus on Shady, and we'll see what happens with and him. This That'll be maybe the thing to watch. This will be LaShawn McCoy's first preseason game, set out the opener. He's going to start on Friday night, we presume be interesting to see how he looks and whether that leads to further speculation about a trade or not well i look forward to talking with you either at the bar or next week if i'm able to to grace your presence 
All right. Thanks for Absolutely. joining us, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Uh, we got to get out of here. For Bobby Rosati, Jonah Bronstein, Joe Licata, this is the Tim Graham Show. We'll be back next week with or without Tim Graham. Tim Graham Show. Yes, I do have Nima.